the star you are. Light up the flame that burns. Make a world of difference in a world of differences when you support Be the Star You Are 501c3, a literacy and positive media charity dedicated to empowering women, families, and youth. Visit BeTheStarYouAre.org to make a tax-deductible donation today. Everyone counts. Donate today. BeTheStarYouAre.org Be the lucky star you Have a plan for your life. You've set goals. You know where you want to go. Congratulations on finding Star Style. Be the star you are. Our vibrant hosts, passion, purpose, and possibility producer Cynthia Bryan and her energetic daughter, healthy living specialist Heather Brittany, share the best roads, fastest detours, and successful strategies for a life worth living. Reach your potential with their personal achievement coaching, miracle moments, inspiring guests, titillating interviews, and business bites. Be introduced to new books and innovative ideas that encourage you to live a positive, sustainable lifestyle while achieving your dreams. Ignite your power, make a difference in the world, and shoot for the stars. It's the power hour of living, loving, laughing, and learning. On Star Style, be the star you are. Lend us your ears. The party starts now. Never say never. Live your are you wearing a pink ribbon? Do you wonder what Obamacare is going to offer? Have you ever thought about being a ghost bride? Well, welcome, play partners, to our power hour here on Star Style, be the star you are. I'm Cynthia Bryan. And I'm Heather Brittany. And you're listening to us on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Our goal is to seed, stimulate, and support space for positive, meaningful conversations that are going to get you talking around the dinner table. The Miracle Moment is brought to you by Star Style Productions, coaching you for writing, speaking, and media interviews. Call 925-377-STAR or visit StarStyleProductions.com to book your session because you can be the star you are. When the heart is at peace, the body will be healthy. That's a Chinese proverb. And that is going to lead us into our first segment here with our health specialist, Heather Brittany, as today we are going to be talking about breast cancer awareness because October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. But before we get into that topic, Heather, I just want to congratulate you for having a full page in the South Coast Magazine. That was so cool. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah, for those of you Thank who don't you. know, I Thank opened a magazine, you. and here is Heather, a full-page picture of our own Heather Brittany, and she looked just fantastic. So, anyway, you should be really proud. So, I'm a, I, I'm a proud mama. I'm always proud. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I have one other announcement, or two announcements, actually, I wanted to make is, first of all, the 10th annual Be The Star You Are National Essay Contest has launched, and the topic is what it means to be an American. So you can submit your entries anytime now. 
For guidelines, you can go to StarStyleRadio.com and click on events, or you can go to BTSYA.com and do the same thing. Click on events, and you can get uh, the guidelines and learn how what you need to do. And you can win um, money, uh, interviews, books, publication, and more. So enter today. It's a great topic. Sponsored again by U.S. Bank, so thank you to U.S. Bank. And then since uh, Halloween is coming up soon, Be The Star You Are is launching with, in conjunction with Club Be The Star You Are in high schools. It's called Trick or Treat for Literacy Campaign. So instead of buying candy to give to kids, we're encouraging everyone to make a donation of $3 or more to Be The Star You Are so that we can get a book to every kid. So instead of rotting their teeth, Let's enhance their mind. You can make your donation at PayPal at BeTheStarYouAre.org or BTSYA.org. Or you can send a check, P.O. Box 376. Yes, that's right. P.O. Box 376, Moraga, California, 94556. But teens will be going door to door. And we hope that you'll write a check for bigger than $3. But, you know, every bit. Yeah, isn't that a cool idea? Trick or treat. Um, Yeah, trick or treat. For literacy campaign, it was thought up by the kids, and uh, Club Be The Star You Are kids are doing it. All right, so that's our announcements for today. But getting to Breast Cancer Awareness Month, it is a, a an effort to raise awareness and reduce the stigma of breast cancer through education of the symptoms and the treatments. And, of course, supporters always hope that greater knowledge is going to lead to earlier detection of breast cancer, which, when you detect it earlier, you have a higher uh, long-term survival rate. And, um, and you know, we're looking for permanent cures. Now, that pink ribbon is the most prominent symbol of breast cancer awareness. And for many countries around the world, October is National Breast Cancer Awareness Month. So today, Heather is going to walk us through the importance of early detection for breast cancer, and you know, it's not just women that get it. It is men as well. So, Heather, we are told that, you know, we need to observe ourselves and then look for treatment options if we find anything that is irregular. So, what really are we looking for? Well, you know, something to kind of get into the whole basic thing when talking about breast cancer. So my big thing is, you know, I feel every month there's an, a new ribbon, a new bracelet, something else that when you're at the checkout stand, they ask if you'd like to donate a dollar with this. But I feel um, when you think of pink, a lot of times, you know, you think of breast cancer and you think of women and uh, you think of how many people have been affected in your lifetime. And statistics showing that one in eight women, meaning you will know someone. Oftentimes when we talk about health care, if you look in a room, if you're ever in a grocery store or in a classroom or something, always kind of think of those facts that at least, you know, five people in this room will have cancer. Five people have eight. Those kinds of statistics, when you really look at it. And I feel breast cancer has affected so many people, whether it's a grandma, it's an aunt or friend. Everyone has been affected by cancer, especially breast cancer. And it's actually breast cancer um, is the most common cancer among women, only second to skin cancer, and it's the leading killer, only second to lung cancer. And just for 2013, um, over 200,000 cases um, of non-invasive uh, breast cancer will be diagnosed um, 
excuse me, sorry, I said that backwards, what I was to say, um, over 200,000 of invasive, over 65,000 cases of non-invasive, and almost 40,000 women will die this year of first 2000. So, I mean, it's a big number. Will you tell us what's the difference between invasive and non-invasive? Is the invasive the metatastic where it just metastasizes to other organs? Well, exactly. Well, exa- with all things. Um, and it's also we're talking about with, when anything with cancer, when people say, oh, it's benign, oh, it's this. Um, why people oftentimes either, you know, elect to have um, a mastectomy or, you know, to have, to have actually, you know, to have the lump removed or to have the breast actually removed. And the thing is, what a cancer is in, in general is that there's healthy uh, cells that have been invaded and they become cancer. They become sick, you know, just, and um, what happens, as we know, you know, oftentimes if you pop a pimple, it doesn't just, you might get out the stuff, but oftentimes what will happen is it will spread and you will start to break out. And that doesn't happen with everyone. Um, some people, they break out and then now there's a huge patch on their face. Other people, they're able to treat it. And so that's very much with cancer. Sometimes you see, um, you catch it early, you know, you pop the pimple, you're able to get rid of it. Or other times you're not quite sure it's under the skin. Um, before you know it gets really big, you can't control it, and then it spreads and you're all broken. So that's what happens with cancer. Um, early detection, early, and, and that's what happens, which is unfortunate, is it can be something um, that is hereditary. Oftentimes people say, you know, that breast cancer is something that runs in family. As well as we're now, um, as a culture, as a society, predisposed, we're predisposed to um, many sort of toxins. There's all these things, you know, you think of, um, you know, things that are in the water, you know, things we don't even realize in our deodorants, all the they think, you know, they, how they say certain false sugars, oh, those cause cancers, and this. And some of the information is true, some of it is not completely because where we get a lot of our research information, uh, whether good or or bad, if you want to consider it, is by doing um, lab rat investigations. So oftentimes they'll hear that they said, "Oh, these false these um, aspartame, these fake sugars have caused tumors and cancers in rats, uh, but nothing has been proven yet in humans." Or in a positive light, they'll say, "You know, we've tried out these certain medications, and it's actually." prevented a cancer or it's um, made, you know, it's taken away diabetes or something in a lab, but it hasn't been tested in humans yet. So, so much of our information is based on that, um, which actually, you know, we're, we're constantly, why, you know, every year we're raising all this money, why there is these efforts for these walks, for their show your support, is because um, research and working for a cure costs so much money as, you know, things that when we hear about things oftentimes in the news, we're just blown away um, by the cost of these things. And and unfortunately for research, that's, that's the issue. Even these millions and billions of dollars that they raise, um, it's helping to go for but, you know, that we're only just getting there. And actually something um, sort of, you know, fantastic for the year of 2013, um, there is a doctor actually that's been uh, working on a vaccine, per se, uh, for uh, breast cancer. And this is a totally kind of a new thing. He's actually an immunologist, meaning that you study um, uh, immunodeficiency, you study the body, you study what causes you to make you sick and whatnot, and has been working on a vaccine. And it's been in the works for about three years now. And getting back to sort of the mice thing is that 
uh, in uh, lab female lab rats uh, or rat, excuse me female lab mice. Um, it's shown not to cause breast cancer, and they haven't uh, done it yet in uh, female in human studies, but they're working on it. And the big thing is getting it um, to be FDA Food and Drug Administration approved. And a lot of people, um, you know, oftentimes when you see that on the labeling for vitamins, if you have that FDA of approval, that's a huge thing. That's sort of uh, validifying and making saying that your product is healthy and that there is truth behind it. There's also millions, if not billions, of dollars that go in behind these um, testing to get that approval. And there's been a lot of donations, things kind of going in to get it up and running, and they're hoping within the next 10 years for this to be a real possibility. And why this is so huge um, is because a lot of times, you know, in the fight for breast cancer, we're often fighting for the cure. We're not fighting. We haven't been really working on preventing it. You know, we hear people saying, you know, don't eat certain things or don't do it. But to think to actually have a vaccine, to have a medication, something that, could make cancer a thing of the past just as we get, you know, our um, immunizations for the flu or for chicken pox or, you know, measles, things that used to wipe out, you know, complete communities would be a, a thing of the past. So that's so huge for us now. And over the last, um, you know, 10 to 15 years for women's health, uh, this whole thing about when to get mammograms keeps changing. And first there, it was earlier detection and then it was laying later and, uh, the big thing which kind of flip-flops is um, some people, including um, the Cancer Society of America, says to start at as young as 40 years old, get your first mammogram. And then with your doctor, with we know with all health tests, is um, to go with what your individual, with your own individual health care um, uh, situation and what your doctor thinks. Again, if you have... Um, you know, huge family history, especially if it's been something that's been diagnosed at an earlier age. As we know, there's been cases of people even in their teens getting it. Uh, it is so very rare. That's why they don't have people testing so young at the, um, for it. But it's always a possibility with anything. Well, and you just said if there's a hereditary uh, component to that. And I was just reading, you know, first of all, obviously, if you have somebody that is um, very close to your mother, a sister, uh, a, a parent, you know, that has had it, uh, or an aunt. And then I've also read, too, that even on the male side, on your father's side, if you had a grandmother who had it, then your chances, something are like 50% higher if, than if you had no hereditary uh, component. Yeah, and you know, that's something I think we really view breast cancer as a women's cancer, as a woman's cancer, um, which for statistically, it, for the most part, it is. But every year, a little over 2,000 men are diagnosed every year, and of that, about 400 of them will die. And usually because that's something men aren't giving themselves breast exam, or it seems almost, you know, you wouldn't to be, you know, checking and feeling... And, you know, and that's something that's actually changed, too. They've talked for a long time about, you know, in the shower. But a lot of women don't really know what they're feeling for. And women naturally have lumpy breasts um, during puberty, you know, your, your uh your, not tear ducts, but your, your breast, your glands basically in there can kind of form, um, hardenings in it that are completely natural, that almost kind of feel like little cysts. Uh, and it's natural and it's normal and there's nothing unhealthy about it. But a lot of women, they don't know, they feel, they naturally have lumpy breasts, so they don't know what they're feeling. Um, so the doctors still recommend to do it, but the biggest thing is 
starting at age 40 for the mammograms, why there was sort of that kind of on the scale is because it's technically an X-ray and there's the potential, um, you know, X-ray of cancerous rays coming through. But something that you touched on right at the beginning, which I want to get into before we run out of, is with this whole new health care and Obamacare launching, um, I personally, I, I, you know, I know many people are not for it. I personally am I'm completely for everyone having affordable health care and having access to health care. But the biggest thing, um, especially with coming with women's health, of how it affects women, is no longer, uh, so with the Obamacare, no longer can people be denied health insurance um, or given a higher premium because of pre-existing conditions. So if you had uh, breast cancer or if it's something that runs in your family or you are a high-risk person, you're not going to be paying more for your health insurance or denied for that. And a lot well, and of- I just want to throw in there, too, because in segment three, we're going to be talking about uh, the health reform, and we're going to try to demystify it for everyone. But what I think is really important is now women will be able to get their mammograms and their pap smears included as part of one of the, uh, the 10 care services, because I know for me, when I was getting the mammograms uh, just, you know, before I had this kind of insurance, it was costing me up to $800 for the mammogram, and then they would charge me an extra $300 for the doctor to look at it. So there was $1,100 out of pocket that insurance wasn't covering, and that alone would deter man or woman from getting a mammogram. And, yeah, you know, I just and- think it's important. And you know, and that's for some of with, um, you know, with now with Obamacare, I know you're going to get more, but there's, again, you said there's actually part, kind of technically 11 of essential benefits that all insurance must include. And part of it is that women have, that there is preventative care. And, that, and I think that's in maternity care. You know, being pregnant is no longer considered a disease. Um, or right. and we'll and we will talk about that coming right up. But I just wanted to give a couple of things that um, risk factors and things before we go to break. And one of it was is that there's been some some um, research done that women who breastfeed for at least a year have a lower incidence of breast cancer. I guess they think that's because the total number of lifetime menstrual cycles is less, which is good. And then the use of alcohol is clearly linked to an increase in developing breast cancer. And that is if you have more than uh, two to five drinks daily. So that's about one and a half times the risk factor. And of course, being overweight or obese is uh, something um, that's always challenging and can contribute to cancer. So we have to get some physical activities but we're, we're out of time, and it's a great topic, but would you wind it up for us, Heather? Yeah, most of it is, and as you were touching on, is with everything, um, for, to prevent any kind of disease, is to live a healthy lifestyle. However, we are exposed to things just because of our hereditary. So always speak with your doctors when they ask you, when, they, when you go to the doctor and you fill out that questionnaire and they ask about family history, it isn't to invade in your uh, privacy or to make you feel bad or to kind of, you know, make you feel that they're going to be treated differently is to find out what your, um, in fact, health risks are and to make sure that you're getting the best care possible. So make sure if it's something not in your immediate family, talk with your grandmother or your mother if there are any cancers in your family and especially breast cancer because it can be something if caught at an early, it can be treated and we can work for the cure. Um, and we always, again, early detection is always key. So just living a healthy lifestyle 
Um, and being aware, doing, getting your mammogram at 40 and doing those self-checks um, in the shower every couple months. The wonderful tips, Heather. Well, when we return from break, we are going to be looking into marrying a ghost. Have you ever heard of such a thing? I'm Cynthia Bryan. And I'm Heather Whitney. And you're listening to Star Style, Be the Star You Are. We'll be right back. In the meantime, you can visit StarStyleRadio.com. Be the star you are. The star you are. Be the star you are. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. Apathy, violence, and negative messages are everyday occurrences in our country. You can be a changemaker when you dare to care by supporting Be The Star You Are charity, a 501c3 that empowers women, families, and youth through improved literacy, positive media, and tools for living. Visit www.bethestarur.org to find out how you can make a difference in our world. Everyone counts. That web address again is www.bethestarur.org. Be the star you are.org. Are you living your dreams? Want to create a life you love but don't know how to begin? Lifestyle coach and personal growth expert Cynthia Bryan has jump-started the lives and careers of clients for over two decades with her signature star style consultations with personalized sessions by phone or in person. You'll turn your passions into profits. Visit www.cynthiabryan.com or call 925-377-STAR. That's cynthiabryan.com or call 925-377-7888. Cynthia Bryan is your guide on the side. www.cynthiabryan.com You can be the star you are. Be the star you are. You are the star. Get ready to be inspired, entertained, and motivated to greatness with positive, uplifting, life-changing talk radio. Turn up the volume. Tune in to the Power Hour on Star Style. Be the star you are. Now, back to the program with the Oprah of the Airwaves, Cynthia Bryan. Well, we know you have a plan for your life. You set goals and you know where you want to go. And there's always detours. But that's where we come in with you right here every week, bringing you the authors and the experts and the great books that inspire, entertain, and motivate you. And lots of times you learn lots of new things. We're going to help ignite your power and help you shoot for the stars. My name is Cynthia Bryan, and you are listening to Star Style. Be the star you are on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Well, in the late 19th century, in the Chinese culture, marrying the dead was an acceptable practice to enhance social standing and also to offer financial rescue to any money-strapped family. Yangshi Chu's first novel is called Ghost Bride, and it explores this concept through the eyes of a Chinese-Malay young woman. Welcome, Yangshi, to Star Style. Be the star you are. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so excited to be on today. <laughs> well, I'm excited to interview you because until I read your novel, The Ghost Bride, I had no idea that this was ever a practice, and I majored in history, but I never studied this in any historical, you know, in any historical book. Tell me about what compelled you to write about Ghost Brides, and what is the story behind that? Is this something that you grow up, I knew you grew up, grew up in Malaysia, 
So tell us what the backstory is. Ah, well, um, you know, the practice of marrying the dead is a Chinese folk superstition. And it's never been very common, um, but it's some, it is sometimes practiced, as you mentioned earlier, um, for various family reasons, or let's say if two sweethearts died, um, they might be married after death. So um, if Romeo and Juliet were Chinese, for example, and they died, the Chinese solution would be to marry them after death, and you know the Capulets and Montagues would um, have to recognize each other's family, and everyone would save face. So um, it's been around. I had heard of this practice um, growing up as a little girl in Malaysia. So the Chinese community in Malaysia has still retained um, its cultural heritage. And I'd heard rumors of these ghost marriages, but I wasn't really planning on writing a book about it. Um, I was actually doing research for another book that I was writing when I was digging through the national archives of our local newspaper. And I came across a sentence in an article which referred very briefly to the um, practice of spirit marriage amongst the Chinese in Malaya, which is the old term for Malaysia. And I was so struck by this, I thought, you know, what is this? And then I realized, oh, I know, this is the marriage of the dead. And it was just such an interesting idea that um, I just sat down and wrote the first chapter of this book and ended up abandoning my other book, which is actually a disaster anyway. So that's how it got started. That is just, it's fascinating. So. I can totally see how Romeo and Juliet would be married after they were dead to to ease the families here and to join you know, the Montagues and the Capulets and to have peace. But in your story, the premise is that a wealthy man, a young man from a high-class family, is has died, and now he is being promised in death to this lovely young, alive woman um, just because her family is in debt to this family. So is that, was that a custom that was done? Is that the dead would actually have to marry the, the uh, living person and then live in that dead person's family home? Yes. I mean, this is all part of ancestor worship. And in terms of a ghost marriage, there's tremendous variation. So I you know, when I was doing some research, there's variation across Southeast Asia, like, you know, the Chinese in Hong Kong, Taiwan, Singapore, Malaysia, practice different variations of it. And they occurred for as many different reasons as marriage occurs normally. In the case that, um, in my book, when the dead marry the living, this is actually one of the rarest instances. But it might occasionally happen because of ancestor worship and the notion that you need to take care of the dead. So part of this... Um, it comes with the whole burning of paper funeral objects. So a lot of Chinese believe that whatever you burn in paper effigy becomes tangible property in the afterlife. So it's sort of like the Chinese version of the Egyptian afterlife. And people would, I remember as a little child, I helped my grandmother fold um, gold ingots out of paper. So they would sell sheets of silver and gold paper that you fold into replica gold ingots, sort of like origami for the dead and she would burn these. And they also sell stacks and stacks of paper banknotes, like hell banknotes. You, you know, right, you refer to them as hell banknotes in your novel, The Ghost Bride. 
is it, it's not real money, it's what, fake money, but you still have to buy it, right? Yes, you do. This entire cottage industry of this. So it is, and it actually says hell banknote in English on it. It has Chinese words too. And so instead of the, you know, instead of, you know, Benjamin Franklin, they'll have a picture of the um, Chinese god of the dead, like the god of the underworld on it, and they, they come in stacks and stacks, and you're supposed to burn them. You're supposed to burn them for the afterlife. So um, in the Chinese afterlife, you can never get away from your obligations to your relatives, whether they're alive or they're dead. And so um, along with this whole notion of providing for the afterlife, um, they would also arrange marriages and things. And most normally this would happen um, for some sort of reason you felt you wanted to carry on the family line or let's say this man had died with no wife and no children, no one to take care of his grave. Sometimes they would get a poor young woman to enter the family as a widow and she would marry him in this elaborate wedding ceremony in which, this is actually really creepy, she would be there by herself. It was very the- creepy because all <laughs> I could think of, here's yes, this I just imagined Lee Lan as being this gorgeous 18-year-old full of life and expectancy for this, you know, finding the romance of her life. Who She actually, you know, was more in love with Tan Bei. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right. Tan Bei? Bei? Tan Bei, yeah. Tan Bei. And the fact that now she's supposed to marry dead son, uh, (laughs) the Lim Tang Ching, she must have married him, and then he's going to visit her for conjugal visits in her dreams? It sounded so creepy. (laughs) Yeah, it is super creepy. I mean, they would actually have the whole wedding ceremony, and they'd have, instead of the bridegroom, they would substitute a rooster. So I always thought that was What was the purpose of the rooster? Because you, 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 when she was being explained, it was like, you're going to be sitting on this lovely chair, and you'll be all in your red, and then you'll have a rooster. And I was like, a rooster? Why the rooster? You know, I, I am not really sure. You know, there are so many um, Chinese notions of the afterlife, at least um, the historic notions are depicted in this book, are sort of a mishmash of a number of beliefs. So they put together um, some Buddhist ideas about reincarnation. There's also a mixture of Taoism. And some of this is just folk superstition. So I don't actually know where they got the rooster from. Um, someone might be able to. Um, but they, they sometimes use a rooster. Although in modern China... This practice still continues of marrying the dead. Usually it is the dead marry the dead. Let's say you have a son who's deceased and you feel like he needs a wife in the afterlife. Um, this still continues in mainland China, but they have a different twist on it. I think they're actually grave robbing. I mean, there are new stories in which people are buying bodies in order to conduct these ceremonies, which was actually so they very buy, yeah, Do you mean they actually buy dead people? They buy dead bodies? Uh, that and, is what Yes, apparently, wow. according to the newspaper. So that is a variation I had never heard of. In Southeast Asia, I think you only need the permission of the parents, and then, then you can have a marriage. But um, in parts of rural China, they, um, I suppose they want more. But as I said, there's tremendous variation in this practice and in ideas of the Chinese afterlife. Which I well, thought it's was so fascinating. fascinating. We're talking to Yangtze Chu, and her first book is called The Ghost Bride. And it is a roller coaster ride, literally through the depths of the dead, I guess, the plains of the dead, <laughs> and into the underworld and all the ghost spirits. And some people in your book 
can actually see spirits. And you were talking about all those papers that you mm-hmm. put on the windows, et cetera, to keep the spirits away. Your descriptions of the uh, the hungry ghosts, you know, the people that had nobody to make these these paper, what would you be, paper offerings to? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It, mm-hmm. it was just, it was like, I actually was afraid, oh my gosh, do I have to start preparing things <laughs> in case I don't want to be a hungry ghost? <laughs> Yes, I, you know, they, um, I was actually back in Singapore last year around the time of the Festival of the Hungry Ghosts, and you will see communities preparing offerings. So hungry ghosts are the spirits of people who died without um, descendants or any or family to take care of them or who are unknown. And so the Chinese believe that you also need to pr- provide for them because they don't have a family who would burn um, paper chickens, paper clothes, paper shoes, all the normal stuff that you'd burn for your family. And the Hungry Ghost offerings are community offerings. So let's say, um, you know, people in this part of town might say, we're all going to get together at the community center and we'll pull together some money to make a Hungry Ghost hotel. So, for example, I did see them burning these sort of motels or um, community centers, which were paper effigies. They are very large. Really? So, in other words, living people are making effigies for dead people so that the dead aren't just the walking dead. They're just not walking around in the afterworld with no place to sleep and no nothing to eat and nothing to do. They want to give them activities? Is that what yes. the purpose is? <laughs> and they also bring and food. Oh, it is amazing. So, for example, the paper community center I saw that they prepared was very large. It was about um, eight feet wide and maybe about six feet tall. And it was made of reeds. It had a reed structure because it has to be burned. And it was all covered with paper, brightly, vividly colored paper, like folk art. And it looked like a grand Chinese mansion, like a paper dollhouse, a dollhouse made of paper. And they were little, even little paper servants. You know, I also mentioned them in my book. But they had these little puppet servants that are put all over around, like looking out of the windows. They have paper, like little paper furniture, dining sets, etc. And it's all meant to be burned. Um, for the oh, it sounds like it's so elaborate. I wouldn't want to burn it. Now, yes. do the people in the, do the Chinese community in Malay today still believe in this custom, or is it just in mainland China, or like you said in Singapore, or is it you know an older generation? Because there is still the ancestor worship in the Chinese culture, correct? Right. No, I think it is still believed. I mean, people. Um, believe in different things, but many Chinese still will continue in this sort of festival. So the Chinese diaspora, the overseas Chinese, um, in Taiwan they hold the same sort of festivals, in Malaysia and Singapore. Um, you know, the interesting thing is that I only, um, when I spoke to friends from mainland China, from the cities, they said they had never heard of such a thing as a ghost marriage. And I suspect that is because when the communists took over, for 50 years or so, they really discouraged what they consider folk religion, you know, folk superstition. And that right, they, they didn't want it. And you actually mentioned yeah. something about that in your book, about certain genres not believing in superstition. Yeah, yeah yes, they do. So, I mean, even amongst the Chinese, some people believe, some people don't believe, and, um, and sometimes people just do it as well just to cover all their bases. So, um, so the, I mean, the ghost marriage being somewhat separate from the idea of burning things for um, hunger ghosts and your ancestors. But Chinese all over the world do burn um, 
paper, paper money and paper things. And, you know, paper clothes, I was really surprised they sell paper iPads, paper iMacs, paper Game Boys, and paper Louis Vuitton suitcases. No way, Louis Vuitton. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. So if you really want to go to the to the other world in style, then you really have <laughs> yes. to have first class paper packages <laughs> made and burned. Well, when you were writing the Ghost Bride, and again we are talking to author Yang Shi Chu, and I want to give her website here too, which is yschoo.com. Again, the book is the Ghost Bride. How did you research all of this? Because your characters are also well-developed. And I loved Erlang, who was the dragon. You made him a dragon. And I loved all that because he was so kind. And you had mediums in here. There was a lot of different belief systems. And you had the her father, Leland's father, who really was addicted to opium. Yet he was a kind-hearted man because he wasn't forcing her to marry the ghost. He hadn't... Given, you know, he, he didn't make that for real. But in when you were doing your research, did you find that there were families that you have that you read about that actually would force their daughters into, um, or maybe their sons? Did it happen to sons too that they might have to marry a dead um, woman? Less, much less likely. You know, it was usually the son is more important, so you would get a wife for him. It was yes. more unlikely that you would get a husband for your daughter. But, um, you know, growing up in Malaysia, I, you know, I heard a lot of stories from family and friends, and, you know, everybody always has a ghost story. And I also read a lot of Chinese books. You know, there's a lot, there's a very strong um, literary Chinese tradition of ghost stories, which are set in this sort of fantastic kind of afterworld where, you know, the boundaries between spirits and humans are blurred, and, you know, foxes change into humans. And, you know, if, I don't know if you've ever watched any of these Hong Kong movies where there's swordsmen and they can fly from one mountaintop to the other. It is that kind of fantasy landscape. And uh, when I was writing this book, I, I did think about that. Um, and as to whether, you know, the, but the people, they just sort of came up as I was writing the novel. <laughs> well, and how did you feel when you were actually created that Plains of the Dead where, where everybody's walking, you know, through that where they're going through that whole area to get to her Leland's mother's home was that was frightening to me. That was so frightening. I was like, is she going to get back? Is she going to make it back? And then when she gets betrayed, it's like, oh my goodness. You know, it was like, <laughs> that was just very frightening. <laughs> oh, oh dear. Well, I, you know, um, I actually invented that part. Um, there is, there is some Chinese notion, as I mentioned earlier, there are a number of beliefs, and they sometimes contradict each other. For example, the Buddhist idea of reincarnation somewhat contradicts the Taoist ideas in which people want to live forever, you know, the elixir of immortality, etc. And at the same time, they had this idea of this somewhat like a purgatory, a place where you could receive burnt offerings, but it's never very um, specific about where that is, and there's also the Ten Courts of Hell. And so I made the Plains of the Dead, and imagine that there must be somewhere in as an interim place where you could receive this. Yeah, I, we, I imagined it as purgatory, like you said. Yeah. It was like that seemed to me to be the Western idea of purgatory. Mm-hmm. And you could also compare it, you know, Dante's um, circles of hell as well. So I, I just imagined that the landscape of the afterlife would be very strange, you know, very interesting and bizarre and also probably very frightening. 
So since your book has come out, have you been contacted by anyone who is a ghost wife? Uh, no, I haven't. Um, but you know, the interesting thing is that when I had finished writing this book, I was talking to a friend of mine who's from Singapore, and, I, and he said, oh, yeah, my uncle was married in a ghost marriage. And I said, really? And he said, yes, it happened. And in some ways, in a somewhat similar manner, he said his grandmother, and he said this was about 15 years ago, 15 to 20 years ago. His Which isn't that three, long ago. No, it is still, it happens sometimes, but it is rare. He said his grandmother had a dream in which her deceased son um, came to her and said, um, look, I've met this great girl in the afterlife, and I want you to arrange my marriage. And he apparently gave her the name of the street and the name of the family. So she got up the next day, and she went to this street in Singapore, and she asked around, and there was such a family. And when she spoke to them, they said that they had had a daughter who had passed away, and that she had also appeared to them in a dream and said, oh, I want to get married. Could you arrange my wedding? And according to him, they actually had this wedding. And in this case, it was the dead marrying the dead. And in some ways, a somewhat, I suppose you could say, joyful occasion, because you imagine that your um, deceased relatives in the afterlife are going on and finding um, love, I suppose. And so my friend says they had a elaborate wedding ceremony for these um, two deceased persons. And he said from then on, that family has been considered family, like their in-laws. So they get invited to all the weddings, you know, the family get-togethers and stuff like that. I thought that was really interesting. That is fascinating. It's fascinating. And it's also, it's also a little woo-woo, the fact that both <laughs> families had a dream where their <laughs> loved ones came to them. So whether that is premonition or whether it's coincidence or whether it's wishful thinking, how lovely for the families because it probably made the families very happy and very joyful to know that their children had spouses in the afterlife. Well, yes. I love this book. Yang Shi <laughs> Chu, it's spelled, her name is spelled Y-A-N-G-S-Z-E and last name C-H-O-O. The name of the book, The Ghost Bride. And you want to go to her website because you'll find a lot of information there and you can just order this book. And I'm, are you going to do a, um, a follow up? I guess I should give the website yschoo.com. That is the website. So will there be a follow up to this? Um, well, you know, we had written, I'd written the first book as a standalone, but I'm definitely open to writing a sequel if people want to read more about it. <laughs> I, you know, it's it's a topic. You know, I you've also said it. I think I'm just tired of all the the vampires and the werewolves and the zombies and all of this. This was really a delightful a delightful book, and it kept me on the edge of my seat. And I was just pulling for the you know I was pulling for the heroine the whole time. I mean. They're just, and the servants, they were just very, very good characters, very well developed, and, and your descriptions of all the places they visited, both on this world and in the next, were, were so amazingly colorful, and some of them very frightening. And it, so anyway, it was just a, it was a great read. So congratulations, The thank Ghost so Bride, and thank you, Yangshi, for being on Star Style, Be the Star You Are. Thank you so much. It's been an honor and a pleasure. 
It's been so fun. So pick up a copy, The Ghost Bride, Yangtze Chu. You will really enjoy it. And it's just perfect. It's almost Halloween. It's a wonderful ghost story. I'm Cynthia Ryan. When we come back from break, we are going to look at the new health care system called Obamacare. And hopefully I'll be able to show you a little bit how the Affordable Care Act will work for you. Don't go away. You're listening to Star Style. Be the star you are on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. The star you are. Be the star you are. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Business Bites. Here's Cynthia Bryan. Do you know how to move others to action? You do that with storytelling. Starting from the time we have enough of a vocabulary to string together a couple of sentences, everyone starts telling stories. And even before that, we are entranced by them. And we can make sense of our lives through stories. We relate our experiences through stories. And stories are an incredibly powerful way to communicate, to influence, and to lead. So when you need to illustrate a point or transfer specific information to help your listener feel something, tell a powerful story. And here are four specific ways that you can do that. First, be brief. Stories need to be long enough to cover the topic, short enough to be interesting. Some details and descriptions are important, but creating your verbal version of War and Peace isn't necessary. Be vivid. Use descriptive language to create word pictures. When we tell a story... We want to paint a picture, draw on as many senses as possible. Include action. There's a reason that action films are consistently among the top at the box office. You have to be clean, and your story has to be action-oriented. And stories need to make a point or create a dialogue. Your story's point might be obvious, or you may want your story to be discussed further. So conceal your point just a little bit, and then when the point is discovered during the dialogue, People will point and they'll know the story. So start telling your story today to gain trust, inspire action, and communicate your authentic message. Remember, you are the star of your own performance. Turn your passions into profits. I'm Cynthia Bryan with another business spike from Star Style. For more information, visit StarStyleProductions.com or call 925-377-STAR. Are you living your dreams? Want to create a life you love but don't know how to begin? Lifestyle coach and personal growth expert Cynthia Bryan has jump-started the lives and careers of clients for over two decades with her signature Star Style consultations. With personalized sessions by phone or in person, you'll turn your passions into profits. Visit www.cynthiabryan.com or call 925-377-STAR. That's cynthiabryan.com or call 925-377-7888. Cynthia Bryan is your guide on the side. www.cynthiabryan.com You can be the star you are. Be the star you are. Light up the flame that burns. 
Low literacy and poor communication skills have been identified in studies as major contributors to general conduct disorders, psychiatric disorders, criminal behavior, and adolescent suicide. To live and prosper in this society, we must be lifelong learners with access to knowledge and skills that can sustain our lives at work, at home, and in our communities. Be the star you are. 501c3 Charity has been working to increase literacy and improve positive message programming since 1999. You can help by making a tax-deductible donation today. Visit www.bethestarur.org. Everybody counts. www.bethestarur.org. Be the lucky star you and jumpstart your dreams with positive, life-changing interviews and star-studded conversations on our award-winning program, Star Style, Be the Star You Are, hosted by the passion, purpose, and possibility producer, Cynthia Bryan. Now, back to the power party. Find all you need in a light that shines. Well, thanks for staying with us here on Star Style, Be the Star You Are. Again, this show is brought to you through the charity Be the Star You Are, a 501c3 to increase positive messages and increase literacy. Get involved with our trick or treat for literacy. Visit btsya.com or be the star you are.org and make a donation today. Okay, the Affordable Care Act and you. I think we have so many questions and I want to try to demystify some of the health reform. You know, it's called Obamacare, and I've been trying to make sense of it. As soon as October 1st rolled around, I was on the websites and on the phones to find out my option. And after reviewing the cost, I've decided that I'm going to wait for probably till December until everything gets sorted out before I make my decision. And the reason for that was is that the cost for me as an individual actually was going to raise about three times of what I'm uh, paying right now. So it didn't make sense. But in a nutshell, here's what I learned from all of my investigation, and I think it will help you. The law is going to require that individual and commercial plans cover at least a minimum of 10 categories of benefits, and these are known as essential health benefits. And these include all outpatient medical care, mental health and substance abuse services, emergency services, hospitalization, prescription drugs, pediatric services, including dental and vision care, rehabilitative, including devices, and habilitative care, which is like autism treatment, laboratory services, preventative wellness and chronic disease services, and prenatal maternity and newborn care. So those are the 10 just kind of in a very, very quick nutshell. Now, what the law is actually saying in addition to mandating that every insurer in the marketplace offers the 10 essential benefits, the law also sets certain standards that all insurers must meet, whether they're providing health insurance through an employer or directly to the individuals or small groups. So here's something the law is going to eliminate the limit on essential medical expenses. 
it is prohibiting insurers from dropping your coverage or raising your premiums if you get sick or from denying coverage if you have a pre-existing condition. I think that's really an important part of Obamacare because everyone deserves to have health insurance. I mean, I mean, first of all, health insurance is fairly new. When I was a little girl, there wasn't health insurance, and you just paid your doctor, and it was all reasonable. But since insurance is here, we need to. Everybody needs to be insured. It also ensures that your child can stay on your health plan until age 26, and that's big too. Because as we know, kids are getting out of college; they don't have jobs; they're moving back home with mom and dad, and you know where are they going to pay for their health insurance? And caps on annual and out-of-pocket medical and drug expenses up to an estimated $6,400 for individuals and $12,800 for families. So the purpose of the caps is that hopefully now no one will experience bankruptcy due to medical bills. And that was the number one cause of before this Obamacare came in. So what's up with the hospitalization? Under the law... Your insurer has to cover your hospitalization, though you have to pay maybe a 20% of the bill or more if you haven't reached your out-of-pocket limit. They are doing it in three metals. It's like bronze, silver, gold, actually four, bronze, silver, gold, and platinum. And, of course, you pay the least amount on a monthly basis for the bronze, the most for the platinum, but you've got to really work the numbers because if you are ill and you're at the doctor a lot, it might be better to have a higher premium up front and less uh, less outside. Now, some hospitals charge a couple thousand dollars a day for room and board and $20,000 with medical services, so those bills can soar really, really quickly. It's not uncommon to have a $40,000 bill in one day. So this year, medical costs will help bankrupt 650,000 American households, including many who thought they had insurance until they got diagnosed with a serious illness. Once this Obamacare kicks in, that's not. Laboratory services. While the law codifies the full set of preventative screening tests, including prostate exams and pap smears, that individual and small group insurers must cover, you can still be billed for diagnostic tests that your doctors order when you have symptoms of disease. And the costs can range from $20 for a lab test to 30% for an MRI, but still that's less than having to pay the full amount that they were talking about before. Uh, Pediatric care. Now, under the law, children under age 19 will be able to get their teeth cleaned twice a year, as well as to receive x-rays, fillings, and medically necessary orthodontia. In addition, children under age 19 will be entitled to an eye exam and one pair of glasses or set of contact lenses each year. So relatively few healthcare plans cover children's dental or vision services right now. So that's a big thing for families and kids. Preventative and wellness services. Now this I think is really important because it's so much better to prevent illness and to stay well. Many experts believe that this benefit could help rein in the nation's rising medical costs. The idea is to get and to make healthier choices before they get sick and they before they run up medical bills. So the law instructs insurers to provide all of the 50 preventative services that are recommended by the U.S. Preventative Service Task Force at no extra cost. 
And under the law, Medicare beneficiaries may also be able to receive additional screenings free of deductibles and copay. And some of those uh, those things you'd have to, I'm not going to list all 50 of them, but, you know, some of the things you're going to have to check, for example, you'll be able to get your flu shot. You'll be able to get tetanus shots. You will um, be able to get all these kinds of um, preventative things that you are going to need. So that's important. Maternity and newborn care. The law classifies prenatal care as preventative service. And it has to be provided at no extra cost. And it's going to require insurers to cover the childbirth as well as the newborn infant's care. So these maternity benefits are really a great breakthrough for young people as two-thirds of individual plans have traditionally excluded this type of coverage. I know great health insurance through Screen Actors Guild. Fortunately, so I was able to get wonderful prenatal care and maternity care, etc., but most people don't get that, and that can really affect the future of our children. So, for if you're in California, you want to go to Covered California, which and the, the website is CoveredCA.com, or you can call 800-300-1506, and I found that, you know, they were knowledgeable. And if you are part anywhere in the United States, go to the U.S. Marketplace, and for those people who um, are having financial difficulties, there are going to be all kinds of financial help for you. So you can find out if you're covered. So just look it up on the Internet and shop around and just know that the health options are really going to be better once, you know, that the government gets all their act together. But I do think in a couple months it's going to settle itself out. So thank you so much for being great listeners and allowing Heather and I into your lives every week as your personal growth coaches. We hope that we hear sage advice as well as entertaining authors and great books because we do believe you can change your life and make your dreams come true. For information about Star Style, visit starstyleproductions.com. For information about the charity, go to btsya.org. And please make a donation, and now we're doing the trick-or-treat for literacy. Our aim is always to encourage, inspire, inform, amuse, and motivate. And we hope that you will read a book this week, because that's what we're all about, increasing literacy. Until next week, when we celebrate again, remember that love always wins, kindness always prevails, and smiles keep us happy. My name is Cynthia Bryan. You've been listening to Star Style, Be the Star You Are. Go out into the world and be the star you are. Shine on. Be the star you are, the star you are, be the star you are, you are the star, be the star you are, keep caring. It's been a pleasure bringing you our life-changing program, Star Style, Be the Star You Are. We have you on our radar as it's our goal to inspire, inform, entertain, and motivate you to be the star you were born to be. For more information, visit www.starstyleradio.com. And to make a donation to the charity, go to www.bethestaryouare.org. Ignite the flame that burns brightly within. 
Take charge of your life and coach yourself to success with our dynamic hosts, Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany, every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel for another serving of champagne for the spirit and a power boost to live with star style. Until we celebrate together next week, be the star you are. You are.